Well, we are going to wrap up today a series on worship. I had no intention of it being a series, but it ended up we're in week three of that. And so uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's uh, preparation or if that's long-windedness, but uh, either way, we are, we are going to wrap this up today. I want to take a few moments to recap you um, just because I think uh, the content is very important and we're going we're gonna to tag on to it today. And so if you will just grace me, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, if you will just give some grace and let me uh, just recap this real quick today. We started off um, in this series on worship with just the challenge of saying, um, are you worshiping from a place that you've been taught or are you worshiping from the heart? So when you come into the house of the Lord or you're in your car or you're in your prayer closet at home, uh, wherever that secret place is for you, do you come to that place from the heart, or do you come to it from a specific teaching that said this is specifically how you should or how you're supposed to worship? So it was kind of a challenge up front. I leaned into Genesis chapter 4 in that first week and talked about the uh, worship or the sacrifice of Cain and Abel, how one of them had favor, one of them didn't. The reason that Abel had favor is because his worship or his sacrifice had life in it. And so um, I talked about how when we come before the Lord, what, what we bring the Lord uh, needs to have life in it. It needs to have, have, have a life source in it. So we bring him something from our existence that has life that costs us something that we feel and uh, talked about the importance of of how emotional um, construct is involved in in worship that worship isn't just emotionalism but when we give to someone we care about there is certainly an emotion involved we love doing it we love coming before God we love to worship him we love to be in his presence and so I talked about that strong connection between what I'm offering and who I'm offering it to. And that connection point between those two things is what's very important, and it's what becomes the seat of, of worship itself. So I went on, and uh, we talked about the modern church and some of the temptation in the modern church. Now, if I speak for my era, um, I started feeling this in the late 80s, but especially in the 90s when I was a youth pastor and I was more involved um, in, in leadership opportunities, you felt the cultures of churches shifting from having a practice of worship to having a preference of worship. So the modern church shifted and began to say, well, I want to have worship that is uh, a preferential. I, I, I want it to sound a certain way. I want it to be a certain way. Um, some churches said, you know, it's the Lord's will that we sing hymns, and so we have hymn books. Some said, no, we're throwing out the hymn books and we're going to have we're going to show you lyrics on the screen and we can all sing these anthems and these modern these modern worship songs 
Songwriting, modern songwriting took a, a huge hit in, in the 80s by a vineyard. Uh, started again just writing music. The modern church picked that, that up. Also, um, Kind of, kind of comical to think about it, but um, just southern gospel music made started to make another huge impact in the eighties. Uh, people like Bill Gaither began to write hundreds of songs that came into the local church. Uh, choir music uh, was making a comeback from the eighteen hundreds, and so. The church was very shifty, and people started to move into churches based upon preference rather than based upon, is this in Scripture? Can I worship this way? Should I worship this way? Isn't it okay for us to all be in the same building and worship in different ways um, as an eclectic church rather than the one the this one style has to infiltrate everybody's heart and mind so <clears throat> a very very big deal i told you the story of uh pastor and author francis chan and how a person came up to him right after church and said uh pastor chan i don't really uh i didn't like worship this morning and he said good because we weren't worshiping you and so it was just this uh, the shutting down this ideology that somehow worship became about us, what we're feeling, what we're getting, um, a, a, a preference. Some churches even started to use the word entertainment. So like, um, as a matter of fact, when we first started New Life Church in this town in 2014, some people begin to project that onto us and say New Life is an entertaining church. So you can go there and it's a concert. You can go there and it, it's just like going to you know, Simmons Arena or going to Branson or going to Nashville or somewhere else where you're sitting and you're entertained. And uh, it, it, it kind of hurts because you, you go, man, I want us to be a church that is worshiping not driven by entertainment. So the modern church has to be careful here. you got to be careful that when you come into church that you feel like you've got something to give God as an act of worship. It's not about receiving at that point. It's about giving worship. Okay, And so I went on to talk about the Hebrew ways of worship for the sake of time, I'm not going to teach them again. I'm just going to give you the word and what it means because we talked about this. And I think the reason it's important to bring it up is because I want to keep hammering this point of going, these are ways that the Hebrews worshipped God. And so I think for some of us in our minds, we need to continue to tear down um, these ideas that worship has to look a certain way, be a certain way, act a certain way, and we've all got to think a certain way about it. And so what these eight ways give us is diversity. And I want to run through those one, one more time. If we have the slide, you guys can show it. But halal is to celebrate. It's where we get the word hallelujah. So when you hear people say hallelujah, they are celebrating something that is happening in their life. Yada, the extension of the hands. This was upward, not outward, okay? So reaching up toward God, toward the heavens. 
Um, Todah was to give thanks for things not yet received. So this was coupled with um, a gift of faith, because I'm going to praise you from a place that um, I have not even received this yet, but I'm going to give you thanks for it. There was Shabak, which was to praise loudly or clap loudly. Barak, which was to kneel and to get low uh, before God, to bow. McCall was to dance or leap. I talked about Acts chapter 3, where the man was healed. Silver and gold I don't have. What I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the man went walking and leaping and praising God. That was McCall. Tehillah, to sing a new song. So, again, this is um, inspirational. It is extemporaneous. It is something has happened, and I just want to praise God. And so you just start to sing something new, okay? Zamar is any time you see an instrument being used to glorify God, all right? So all of these ways um, are mentioned, some 180, approximately 180 references throughout Scripture regarding the interaction of these with God, okay? So... Then we kind of ended last week by asking the question, so, uh, you know, how do I know what's right? And the way I answered that was by going to Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So what this means in the context of what, what we're talking about is that we definitely want to be a spirit-led church. I asked you last week, I said, if someone over in this section, let's just say this half of the church, and you see your friend over here in this half of the church, and you feel like the Spirit is saying, go and pray with them, make a connection with them, do it. Let yourself be led. You don't have to be a professional or have a title. Just be led by the Spirit. Go and pray for them. It doesn't have to be anything major. You can walk up and say, hey, I just feel like I just need to speak some life over you. I just feel like I want to just pray with you. I want to I join with you in prayer. And to do that, that's, that's staying in step with the Spirit. In the same way, I think our worship needs to be led by the Spirit. Sometimes it's, it's high praise, right? We, we want to come in and we want to celebrate the goodness of God. We want to celebrate what He's doing in your life. And so uh, worship leaders tend to use a language called praise and worship, with praise being high praise, high energy, with worship being more somber and reverent and deep. And we, we tend to shift between those two environments in our service. But what I mean by being led of the Spirit is specifically this. What is God asking you to bring to this place as an act of worship? What is He wanting from you? And again, this is a, this is a big uh, segue for some of you because you've always thought that worship is about what you like, a certain style, a certain song. I can't tell you how many times people have come up to David and said, man, if you would have just sung my favorite song, 
I would have just, you know, woo, man, I'd have, I'd have been in this morning if you had just played my favorite song. I think about standing before the Lord someday and answering for that. You know, it's like, you know, again, hypothetical here, but it's like, you know, what if the Lord's like, hey, you know, what about worship? Lord, they never played my song. This is about David. It's David's fault. He never played it. And so I didn't worship. Mature worshipers can worship anywhere, at any point, in any church that is promoting Jesus Christ as the Son of God, and they can do it with music, they can do it without. They can do it with a full band, they can do it with one person. They can do it with talent, they can do it without talent. And so you can go from you know, these incredible worship teams where all the musicians are professionals and they're all paid and they're all just extremely gifted to a third world country that meets in the basement and all they have is a djembe and a couple of spoons. And if you will just begin to worship, the presence of the Lord will come into that basement. Because mature worshipers are not there to receive, they are there to give unto the Lord. And to worship him. So if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So this is where I want to start today with new content. I'll, I'll end today. I told you last week, I said, how do we know that we've worshipped? And I told you the, the, the teaching of, of Robert Morris and what he told us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that again because it goes into what I want to talk about. Robert Morris teaches it this way. He says, we are a culture of control. And this is not in a negative connotation. But he says, we're trying to control the culture of our homes, right? We want our homes to be full of peace. We want our, our homes to be a place of joy. And we are trying to do our part to make that happen, to, to control that. We would love to control the behavior of our children. We say, well, you're, gonna, you're not going to act that way here. And you're, you're managing that. You're managing attitudes and shifts in energy in your house, and you're trying to control that. Take that to career. You're trying to control projects. Maybe you are a person of responsibility and you oversee a team. And so you're trying to control that team and what they do for the sake of efficiency because efficiency in what you do is how you get paid. So your level of involvement and control also determines your lifestyle and the lifestyle of your children, and it's important. And so you, you then are controlling what you eat all day, what you drink all day, what you chose to put on to come to church today. You controlled it. And he says, so we are in this mode of control, 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 control. It's in us. And when we bring that to the house of the Lord, he says, if you walk in and you're in control, and you leave, and you're in control. And there was never a place between those two moments of control where you surrendered control, then you did not worship. And I think that's so true and so real. He's saying when we come before God, we have to say, I am bringing my life back to you. Like it's all yours. My career is yours. My children is yours. My spouse is yours. All these things I'm worried about are yours. You say, well, Kevin, does he really want that? Yes. 
He says, cast your cares on me because I care about you. So surrender it. Make that your act of worship to come before God and just surrender control. Now, I've, I've told you this before, but this is my two cents on the text where David was bringing the ark back and he danced in the street with such excitement that he danced out of his clothes. Now, let me tell you why I believe this happened. It could be because he was just wild. Because it said he danced with all of his might. But I also believe this. When David went to get the ark, I believe he was clothed as a king. He had all the things on. Maybe he had this, this robe that no one in the country could afford. Maybe he's covered in rings and chains and crown. And as he's bringing this back, the Holy Spirit gets on him and he wants to get out of kingship and surrender control. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's that he decided, if I go and get the ark as the king and I come back as the king and there was no space between king and king where I surrendered, I did not worship today. And maybe he started to just let go of kingship and say, God, I want to come back to the time when it was you and me in a field. And I was just worshiping you as a kid. There has to be a place in our worship. When we see that here, we will see a shift in the environment of our church. Why? Because praise is invites, I don't want to use the word invoke because it's got such a negative connotation to it, but let me use that with some grace today. It brings and invokes the presence of God, meaning this, God cannot resist it. He loves it. He's drawn to it. He wants to go to it. And so I told you last week, anytime you're seeing a place where people are being saved and baptized and they're wanting to serve their church and they're wanting to give to the kingdom monetarily, you are looking at a place that is tapped into worship because none of that comes through your own mind. It comes from you being moved spiritually. You don't get out your wallet and just give it because your mind tells you to. You don't serve after hours and add to your 40, 60 hour work week so you can come serve the kingdom. You don't come in here after a weekend, throw your hands up. No, you do that because the Spirit, the presence of the Lord is pulling you into that. Not because you're just like, hey, I'm going to go and do it. It's because the presence of the Lord is, is pulling you in. So last week I had this great question asked about preference, and I want to address it today because I thought it was great and it was done really well. But the question was asked, if my preference of worship is how I feel most connected to God, why can't I do just that? Why, why can't I just come to God with my preference and that be okay if that's how I feel most connected to God? Here's my short answer, okay? Now, keep in mind, I'm one person. I make a lot of mistakes, so this is an opinion. But my opinion on that is 
You can. As long as you're not married to just your preference. Your preference can be a starting place of worshiping God. So if you're a person who loves to clap, start there. If you're a person who loves to stand and just listen and be and hold still, all that is a way of worship. Start there. If you're a singer, sing. If you're a musician, play. And this is going to be hard on, on you for a second, okay? So here comes the cold water. If you're a musician in this place and you're not up here, shame on you. Because you could be Zamar and using your gift to help lead people into the presence of God. If you're somebody who loves to raise your hands, start there. But don't let that be the stopping point for you. Because again, keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit may want more from you. I remember the very first time the Lord asked me to just kneel. I thought, man, uh, Lord, I'm not a kneeler. I'm a hand raiser. I love to raise my hands. If I kneel, it probably, in my mind, I go through the checklist of what some of you do when you think of raising your hands. If I kneel, people are going to look at me. As a pastor, if I kneel, the church is going to think I want them to kneel. And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, listen, you're losing the moment. Now, we can argue about this, or you can just do what I asked and just worship. So I knelt. And it was so freeing to me to just be in a new space, to be worshiping the Lord in lowliness and in worship. And so my, my answer to this is start with a preference if that's the way you connect to God, but be open because keep in mind that Christ always called us to a life of surrender. He not one time called anyone to a life of preferential treatment. Can I get an amen? If you take the rich person who came to Christ and he said, listen, I want to get involved, you know, tell me what I got to do. He said, take everything you own and give it to the poor and then follow me. He said, I'm out. I can't do it. Why? Because he preferred, let me keep my lifestyle and follow you. Now, I'm not preaching against wealth. Do not hear that. Jesus wasn't either. This was about surrender. It was about relinquishing control between the two places. He said, listen, if you can give it all up and follow me, Fantastic. And the guy ended up walking off. We never hear from him again scripturally. Because Christ is calling us to a life of surrender. Man, can you imagine what our church would be like if everyone came in here at 9.30 ready to give something to God? Change the environment. You guys know where I stand on this. I am not a cessationist. So I believe that healing can still occur. I believe circumstances can still shift. I believe marriages can be restored because of the Spirit. 
I don't believe any of that has stopped. What I do think has shifted is people of God wanting his involvement. Because I believe that only those things can occur in a place that has prepared for them. When we worship and the presence of the Lord comes in, into a place. I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me, let me back up. When I was a kid, I, I saw my, my dad, who is very reserved. Uh, my, my parents and grandparents on, on his side, generational believers, nobody in the ministry but just incredible lay pastors. My grandfather loved the Lord like I have never seen somebody love the Lord. I've told you this story, but I got to preach in his church before he passed. and I preached this message about getting involved and, and helping someone. I preached from John chapter 9. My grandfather, I think he was mid-90s at that point, came up to me and he goes, he was not, let's say he was 95, he was around that, and he, he came up to me right after. I just stepped off the stage. He goes, hey, I hope I can live my life like that. And I was like, man, you know. But I remember as a kid sitting in a, in, a, in a pew, and our pews were really ugly. They were your wooden pews, and I've told you this. When we got them covered, we thought we, we were rich. You know, we went from solid pews to padded pews. Well, that was moving on up. And so, but the, the bad thing was they were like this, this camel color with a twinge of gold. It was, I, don't, I don't know, it was ugly. But I remember sitting on those, and I remember the very first time I saw my reserve dad lift his hand up. I remember seeing his watch on his hand. He lifted it up. And I remember as a kid, I leaned in like, what? And I was looking at him, and a tear ran down his face. And something, I'm going to tell you, as a kid, something happened in my heart on that day. Because you know what got communicated to me? That it was okay for me to worship the Lord because my father and mentor and steward of my heart at that point just communicated to me to go after God. From that day, I remember just, I started in my, my, my bedroom and just worshiped. And I would lift my hand just the way my dad did. And I would just Give God thanks for silly things because I was so small. You know, I was just thanking him for the new G.I. Joe American hero kit that I got. You know, thank you, Jesus, because we, we were Pentecostal. That's how you had to say it. So, thank you. Hallelujah. Parents, our surrendering to God, hear me, and our passion for worship is empowering another generation to seek God intimately. If we want our children to love God, let's show them that we love God. Let's show our children, the next generation, our young adults, that it's okay to come into the house of the Lord and bring something with us to give God. Listen, teaching your child to pray and teaching them to worship are two very different things. Both are essential. 
Both are reaching out. They are not the same thing. I am praying and talking and communicating and asking in one sense and in the other. It is one way. I am giving to you, Lord. I have something on my heart to present to you. So, praise brings the presence of God. Let me throw, throw this out here because some of you may have never taken this angle. It's not that you haven't thought about it. But do you know that God is 100% self-sustaining? He doesn't need anything. I, I want us to understand that. He is life. He doesn't need anything. A heartbeat, blood, oxygen, nothing. It's why you'll never read in Scripture that God inhales. Because he doesn't need it. He only breathes in out. He only exhales. He only breathes in a man the breath of life. He only speaks into existence and life happens and something moves and shifts and shakes. But he never has to stop and go, <gasps> because he is life. Life pours out of him. But there is one thing that he does not provide for himself, and that is blessings. You and I are designed to bless the Lord. We're able to give Him something. Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be where? Are y'all here? Hello? His praise will continually be where? In my mouth. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to tell him how good he is and how great he is and how grand he is. This is the space to do that together. Psalm 22, 3 in the King James says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. The ESV says that same thing. He says, You are enthroned on the praises of Israel, meaning this, when, our, when we praise the Lord, when we bless Him, we create a place for Him to sit, that He's enthroned on our praise, on our worship. Lastly, praise accesses proclamation. The Bible tells this story. I'm, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but in 2 Kings chapter 3, the kings have come together. You'll have to read this story to get the full context, but the kings have come together, and they have talked to Elisha, and they've basically, they're saying, give us a word. Okay, give us something from God. Tell us what God is saying. And Elisha basically says, I don't have anything for you. I wouldn't even be here if I didn't you know, honor this king over here so much. This is 2 Kings chapter 3 around verse 13. But watch what Elijah does in verse 15. If you're a note taker, you, you can read this later. He says, bring me a harpist. Okay? Bring me an instrument. And there's a pause there. So you have to imagine out comes this harpist. And they begin to play. And the Bible says that while the harpist is playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. As, as worship as Zamar took place, the presence of God came and delivered a word to Elisha. Somebody who just a breath ago said, I don't have anything. 
as Zamar took place, a word of the Lord came on him. He says, this is what the Lord says. All these dry places are going to turn into a pool of water. I'm going to fill this whole valley with water. Some of you are here today, and you need a word from the Lord. You know what? You don't need another Instagram inspirational post, and there's nothing wrong with those. You don't need another New York Times bestseller, and those are phenomenal. What you need in your life is a word from the Lord. How to get it? Why don't you praise your way to it? Why don't you worship your way until a word comes? I want you to stay with me all across the room today. We're about to just sing this last song. And Listen, your worship today is inspired by three things. Here they are. The promise that God has pledged to you. If he's given you something, if he has promised you something, if his word declares it, you can worship him for it. Second, the privilege that God provides you. You have a job today that's awesome, not because you're so smart, but because the Lord gave it to you. He trusts you with it. He gave you the influence. He gave you the wherewithal. He's the one that gives you the knowledge to operate in that giftedness that pays you. We are privileged because of that. We worship Him. Because of the life that we've been given. Because we're able to stand right now on our own feet. I worship because I'm privileged. Third, because of the power He possesses to bless me, to put His hand on my life, to breathe into me to change circumstances, to turn things around, to forgive, to show grace. It's the power He possesses and the promise that He's pledged and the privilege that He provides that lets us lift up the name of Jesus. And I'm going to ask us to do that together this morning. So if you will, I want you to bow your heads right now. Close your eyes. Get in that secret place with the Lord. And as we begin to Zamar and to Hilla. This morning, I would ask you to just bring something to him in these last moments. What do you got? What are you willing to bring to the Lord in this moment of worship?